0: West Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference.
1: The scripture this morning is from the 8th chapter of Mark, verses 22 through 30. During those days, actually, verses 1 through 30. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples And went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said. Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. No sign will be given to it. Then he left them. Got back into the boat. And crossed it to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Except for one loaf. They had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, is, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets fulls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are Christ. In Matthew 16, 16, you are the, it says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. 16:7, blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him.
0: I think that's the longest section of scripture we've had this year. Didn't she do a great job reading it? I had to have her read it because I'm waiting for new new lenses from I'm waiting for new lenses from Costco. So let's start out with everybody having a nice little test this morning. On the screen. What's the smallest line you can read? Our title for the message this morning is Seeing is Believing unless you are blind. So if you need new glasses like I do, then you probably can't see the smallest line. And that's really uh, an interesting theme that we're going to look at in this whole passage. Uh, A lot of scholars look at this passage that we're talking about today and say that it is the ending, the climax of the first half of Mark, that Mark, the writer, the eyewitness account of Jesus' life here on earth and his death and resurrection, is in the first eight chapters asking one primary question of us. And that question is summarized, actually stated explicitly by Jesus in this passage. And it is this. Who am I? Who do you, you, who do you say I am? Now. Where do you start getting spiritual blindness out of this? Why do we title it that way? Well, let's look at the passage for a second. This passage, if we look at the whole chapter, is a little bit confusing at first because it feels like we've got these kind of scattered stories, and then we've got this miracle here that even seems more scattered than normal, and then we come back to this other stuff. But in, in actuality, if you really look at it, it's it's fairly well all tied together. You see, uh, Denise last week, for instance... Uh, talk to us about uh, how Jesus in healings, for instance, we have the healing in here of the man who's blind, how Jesus in healings oftentimes takes time in the way he heals us to address our needs, who we are, meet us where we're at. And she illustrated that first last week by the... Um, um, uh, sorry, first one last week was... Second one last week, I'll just go there. Second one last week was the deaf mute. Remember that story? And that deaf mute goes aside and, and Jesus goes to, goes to him and pulls him aside. And the deaf mute was probably most of his life being harangued by people, right? I mean, we know how our society treats people who can't hear and can't see a lot of times, especially if we don't have an understanding society around them. And Jesus decides to meet him where he's at and pull him aside from the crowd rather than make a spectacle of him like he had been made most of his life. And he heals him. He, he speaks gently to him. In the first miracle, it's about um, this uh this woman, who the Syrophoenician woman, who comes to Jesus and and Jesus speaks to her what at first seems very harshly. It's, it's, he, he says, I shouldn't heal you because you were a dog. And what he's actually doing is speaking to her identity and how she thought about herself. Because this woman knew she was from a pagan culture and a woman that would have been treated and looked upon by this. And she has this identity that she has owned herself about who she is, this negative identity. And Jesus manages to speak directly to that. And what seems rude, but what he's actually doing is exposing that and then in coming and showing the ultimate kindness to her, By her pressing through and healing her her daughter, he's actually also healing her by saying, I don't care if that's what you think about yourself. My goodness, my love is still available to you. And, but so often we tend to stop there and think that Jesus in the Gospels is only talking to us and meeting us where we are at in our needs. But Jesus is also meeting us and paying attention to where the crowd is at around Him as well. And we've seen that in the miracles as well. We see that in the miracle of the woman who came to Jesus in the crowd and she would had a, uh, an issue of bleeding. We dealt with that uh, several months ago. And he, she comes up behind Him and just says, if I touch the hem of His garment, I'll be healed, right? And she walks away healed. And the passage talks about how Jesus sensed power going out of him, and Jesus on his way to try to heal this girl who is dying stops in delays and teaches us a lesson that even though we think his, his, his uh, delays in our life uh, of answering what we want are unconscionable that Him not doing things the way we think we should on the time, that He still has a better plan and that He is not going to walk through life rushed. He's going to always be about that plan that's good, and we can trust Him for that. He may have something bigger and better and different for us. And there's so many other miracles that He does that teach us that. And this miracle that we see today, which is just such an odd miracle, it's the only miracle in all of the eyewitness accounts. doesn't mean that it just didn't happen any other time, but it's the only one recorded in the eyewitness accounts where two things are present. Jesus prays to heal the guy, and then after he prays, asks him, how are you doing? And it's the only place that we see Jesus praying to heal a guy, and according to the text, if we just look at it for face value, it just seems like he just didn't get it right. It wasn't good enough. He didn't pray good enough. He didn't do it right. Right? It's the only time we see that happening. And here's one of the points we need to pay attention to if we're going to understand especially Mark and what he's doing here. Mark is this, as we've shown throughout this whole series, this writer, this concise writer who just puts everything down, that only the necessary down. And so for Mark, when he includes details, like he included of this, this woman with the issue of blood, like he included with this Syrophoenician woman we talked about last week, when he includes the details, they're important. Because Jesus does teaching, it's almost like the way He does His acts, the way He does His miracles are also parables to teach us something. And this passage is all about this simple point. We're all spiritually blind, whether we know it or not. And spiritual sight is a gift from God. It's not something we earn because we're smart or work hard or know enough or do the right things. Spiritual sight is a gift from God. Well, so, Ross, how do you see that? Well, look at this whole passage. If we just look at it at a, at a, at a large picture view, verses 1-9, through 9, you see the disciples, again, going through this whole thing of, of feeding the 4,000, right? They fed the 5,000 a, a few months earlier or a few weeks earlier, and we, just, we talked about that a little while ago. This is the second time of a similar miracle like that. And we see them still kind of getting it, but not fully getting it, but they're getting it better. And then it flips over to the Pharisees, who in that story are clearly not getting it, and they're sitting Or asking Jesus for a sign and everybody probably around around here is asking the same question I ask when I read that passage. What do you mean a sign? You mean the miracles that you've done are not good enough and they're clearly not getting it. And then we flip over again back to the disciples and we see that they're still not getting it. They're just dull. They're slow. They just don't catch on. And Jesus spends this whole time and and we're sitting here as objective observers looking at that portion of the passage going, duh, what's your problem? Why can't you see that he's not talking about bread? Why are you getting caught up in the fact of, uh, of, of your lack right now? And that's really so much like us oftentimes in our spiritual blindness, isn't it? God does something for us. God comes through in a major way in our work or in our family or some other place, answers some, answers some prayer, and then, and then two weeks down the line, three weeks down the line, we're facing the same thing and we're having the same old migraines about it again because it isn't going right. And it's so easy for us to be that same kind of spiritual blind. And then we see this miracle, which is all about healing blindness, and then it goes into, into Peter actually finally answering this question, "Who are you, Jesus?" And, G- and he says, "You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And in the Matthew parallel account, it says that Jesus tells him, "That was not revealed that was revealed to you by God. You didn't get that of yourself. That's where we get the idea that spiritual sight is a gift from God. But if we actually look in the next couple chapters, the next next couple verses that we'll look at, maybe uh, in a couple weeks, we see that Peter immediately turns around and all of a sudden he got it. And now the next couple verses, he didn't get it, and he gets rebuked for not getting it. I mean, it's just this this journey of repeated bumping into these walls that we see, especially the disciples and Peter, going through this this spiritual blindness. And it really comes down to an addiction to self-sufficiency. Now where do you get that from? Well, think about the feeding of the 4,000 again. Think about it. Jesus has done this miracle twice. He fed five thousand men, which we know from that passage is maybe fifteen to twenty thousand people. This is four thousand. We don't know exactly if they're women and children, so we don't know exactly. He's fed thousands of people on these just little, little, little rations. And the and the disciples then jump in a boat and they forget to bring the bread with them, and they only have one loafer on. All of a sudden they get focused on their lack, their need, their issue of what they have the ability to provide. They've only got one loaf and when Jesus starts talking about bread, they go, oh man, we don't have enough to feed our band here. What are we doing? And they just saw a miracle. And yet they get focused on that. And it's because we want to be self-sufficient. Whenever we're faced with a challenge, we want to come back to our own addiction of being good enough, being able to strive hard enough and be able to get stuff done. And Jesus is saying to us that, that that's not the point at all. The only, the only way you can get by that is to recognize your spiritual blindness. That you are addicted to self-sufficiency just like alcoholism. Now think about it. Yeah, how many of you know that if you go to an alcoholic and you say, uh, you're an alcoholic, what's their response going to be typically? Most of the time their response is going to be, oh, I, I drink. And if they're really honest, they'll say, well, occasionally I drink too much, right? And then there's always a but after that, correct? In those, but, but I can handle it, but, but I, I can deal with it, I, 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 can, I can do this okay. Jesus is giving us this whole passage as kind of an intervention for us that He wants to shape both the way we relate to Him emotionally, spiritually, and the way we relate to one another emotionally and spiritually as well. Because He's basically saying to us, you don 't get it you can 't handle it you don 't even see how blind how addicted you are because the interesting part of this passage is we look back at that macro summary of it where we see the disciples kind of getting it, then we see the Pharisees clearly not getting it, then the disciples don 't get it again, and then they, and then Peter gets it and then he doesn 't get it again what we're, what, we, what we see in that is the is this is this approach to the self-sufficiency of the people that uh, that says even i don't care if you're religious i don't care if you're my follower i don't care if you've decided who i am is cor- and, and you've decided that correctly and i don't care if you are a religious leader who isn't he's, jesus is saying everyone is blind from the people who don't know me to the people who are still following me we all have areas of blindness and he's trying to get us to the point of reconciling that In ourselves. And he's inviting us into relationship instead of self sufficiency. He's inviting us to a place of peace, of knowing him instead of trying to strive. So, what is relationship like, though? Have you ever thought about that? When he invites, when Jesus and God, when God invites us to relationship, when Jesus invites us to relationship, what is that like? Well, uh, my daughter and I. Uh, a couple weeks ago, she gave me permission to talk about this. I'm not really sure much about her, but she gave me permission to use her name. Um, we went out for a little daddy-daughter date, and, uh, and I took her out for ice cream. And we were sitting there talking. And, uh, and for whatever reason, probably because uh, probably because my oldest son is going to college, uh, taking him to college at the end of this week in Oklahoma, she started asking me about some of my college experiences, and, and in particular about one of my college friends, Ted. Ted was a, an accountability partner. You may have heard me talk about him once or twice before. He was an accountability partner for me for four years. We, we, were, uh, we were close friends. We roomed together. We were planning on going to grad school together. We were planning on planting a church together. We were just really, really close friends. Well, well Ted died a, year, uh, a month after graduation in a rock-climbing accident in France. And uh, one of the things that came out of the conversation with Elise was uh, remembering the memorial service, there were hundreds of students there, and they were all coming up saying, Ted was their best friend, they were so close to him, and yet I knew that he didn't trust half the people in the room with who he was at all. And isn't that what relationships are really like for us? Then unless somebody opens themselves up to us, we don't really know them. We don't really get to see who they are unless they open themselves to us. And that's also part of the truth that Jesus is saying to us today. He says, I am going to be the one who opens myself to you so you can see me. But the only way you can find that out the only way you can ever discover that is to wrestle with this question of who am I to you personally? Because Jesus, as we look in the passage, he does ask the question, who do other people say that I am? Right? And their answer is one of the greats, like Elijah or John the Baptist or something else like that. And that is just such a typical answer. And it actually gets to this interesting place of this, of, of a comparison between Jesus and all religions in the world. If you look at all the other religions in the world, none of the other great leaders of those religions ever asked this question, who do you say I am, as the central question. No, Muhammad and, uh, or, or Joseph uh, Smith or Brigham Young of the Mormons or, or you can Confucius or any of the other great religious or great philosophical moral leaders of, the, of, of history always tried to point us to ultimate truth, point us to something else, point us to this nirvana or whatever it was they were pointing us to. Even when we look at the Old Testament, all the great leaders in the Old Testament, none of them asked, who do you say I am? But that's the question Jesus is asking us. Because you see, all the other great religious leaders are just trying to teach us how to get to God, teach us who He is. And that feeds into our own addiction to self sufficiency. Because religion takes us and says to us, oh, just take a few of these ideas and you can make it happen. You can make your life better. You can do it. And Jesus, in asking this central question, is saying, no, that's not good enough. You can tell me I'm along, you can tell me people say I'm one of the great religious leaders, but that's not the point. Who do you say I am? Who am I to you? And he's saying to us, I didn't come here to give you nice ideas. I didn't come here to give you things to help make your life better. I didn't come here to help you save yourself. I came to save you. And I'm the one who gives you spiritual sight. I'm the one who gives you spiritual wisdom. You don't get it on your own. You don't get it on any other reason than coming to me. See, one of the things we struggle with a lot in our own walks with Christ a lot of times is we get really frustrated when we're like this blind man who got healed and only partially. And we look at that and we go, man, I feel so bad. I feel like I partially got it but I don't get it and then I feel so guilty and, and I, I must not have gotten anything and we start doubting our salvation. We start doubting whether God loves us. We start doubting all these things and, and let's just back up from that for a moment because... Think about this from a blindness and sight issue, which is what Jesus is trying to get us to think about it from today. If you even have the ability to be frustrated with the fact that you don't have good enough sight, that means he's already given you some. Because if you're completely blind, you wouldn't know the difference. The fact that you have doubts, the fact that you can even think of frustration means that God has already done good stuff in your life to bring healing. So how does this change the way we live? What do we learn from this? Well, first we learn, and we, we talked about this earlier, but let me just state it again so we get in our minds, that spiritual sight is a gift from God. God. and we're all in the same boat together. Whether we're fully convinced believers, whether we're skeptics of Christ, whether we're interested seekers, it doesn't matter. We all have areas of spiritual blindness. So recognizing that, how does that change us? Well, I don't know about you, but when I really think about that and ponder it for my own life, It completely rewires, if I let myself soak that in, it completely rewires my emotional perspective of the world. How I feel about myself. The fact that it's a gift from God and He's already given me some. The fact that I don't have to compare my my sight and my blindness to other people. The fact that I can rest, that I can't do anything to earn it that He's going to give it to me and He's good and He's already given me some instead of looking at what I don't have, looking at what I already do have and know that He's so good to give me that that He's going to continue to give me more. It completely rewires my emotional approach to faith. And in this passage, Jesus also does something else that, that really, I think, frees us and gives us this sense of hope. The fact that Mark records that he prayed for the man once... Now, that's a funny passage. We're not going to talk about the spit, but isn't that a funny part of the passage? And then pray for him. People preach about that. I'm not going to. But but he, he prays for him. And then he says, basically, how's it? How are you? Did it work? How's it doing? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if he would have just said wow, this is so much better, thank you very much, and walked away. He would have been talking to trees and cutting down people the rest of his life, right? But how do we deal with this frustration when it's only partially healed? Because there's frustration, right? When things aren't complete... All of us like things to be complete. How do we deal with that? I think most of us deal with it through this grid of of shame and and pulling away and doubt and, and, and saying, I'm not good enough. But Jesus actually here is showing us that He is explicitly inviting us to be real and honest with Him about our confusion, about our areas of darkness, about our areas of frustration, about our areas of pain. To be pressed into him and be honest instead of pull away. He's making the invitation explicit for us. And not only is he making the invitation explicit for us to do it with him. But he's also making the invitation explicit for us to do it with each other because his disciples are surrounding him and he's asking this question for this guy to reveal his area of darkness still in his life, his area of incompleteness in his life, his area of shame still in his life. He's asking him to talk about it openly in front of a group of people. And Jesus is making the same invitation to us today. Because so often... So often, when we respond to to things with our traditional grid of frustration and pulling away and shame, we end up creating an environment in a church that 's very much like this interview that I want you to listen to on this video.
2: We all like to say in the, in the church that we have a personal relationship with God, and I had a friend once who doesn 't follow the same tradition that I do and she said, I thought you, had a, you said you had a personal relationship with, with God. And I said, I, I do. And she said, no, you don't. Your relationship looks just like everybody else's. And that really hit me because it really did. I listen to the same music. I do the same things. I go at the same times. I do the same ministry in the same ways. And I never... Um,
3: it really required a, a, a defining yourself, you defining what your relationship with God is like. You have to understand in yourself who he is without somebody telling you who he is.
2: There was an expectation especially by the time you you hit your 40s that you've achieved a level of spiritual maturity and and growth and understanding and knowledge that it's your job to sort of pass that on and to mention people in that and when when you find yourself not that play in that place or not that person or you don't necessarily agree or see the same things same ways you don't really have the freedom to ask questions in fact i did i did try um, to ask questions and one of the responses i got which i thought was interesting was you're not alone in the way you think, but we can't, or I can't, specifically the woman I spoke to, I can't follow you down that slippery slope. So that was a situation where I was left alone.
3: These could be questions that really should be, they feel like should be understood.
2: Yeah, by the time you're at a certain point in your Christianity, after, I mean, I came to the Lord when I was eight, so by the time you've been doing this for 30 or 35 years, they're really disappointed that you really... You don't know if the Bible is in really. You don't know um, why God allows evil. You don't know this by now. And I think they're very disappointed in that. And, and it's, But then I think when you search your own heart, I think a lot of people have those questions, but they aren't willing to face them because they are scary. And you don't know where that rabbit trail is going to lead you.
3: Right, and a lot of times, if you if you get somebody to even talk about it, what you end up getting is a, really a pat answer. Uh, uh,
2: or steering the question in a certain show, direction. Well, I thought answer. this, but... I ultimately know this because the Bible says so, or the church says this, so ultimately we're going to steer you back Correct. to this point and then sort of and, wash and, their hands with and it. And
3: it causes them, if they, really, if they really answer the question, it causes them to have to search inside their heart to decide what, what have they experienced and what have they felt about this to really give you an answer, and I don't think most people want to do that.
2: You come in and you're given, you're given the box of Christianity. You open it and I believe this and this, and these are all the prepackaged, neat tidy things, and you just need to believe it. Very rarely, I, you're not encouraged to really challenge those things and, and question them. And, and, um, and I, I, like I said, I guess it's just because they don't necessarily have the answers either. And so to, to have to say that out loud, I don't know the answer. Maybe they think that discredits them, but I don't. I think the honesty is, is more helpful.
0: How do you deal with the questions that you have in your life or the dark areas you have in your life? I think many of us have experienced church settings like they probably are relating to here where it just wasn't safe to ask those questions. And why does it not become safe to ask those questions? Um, I'm doing this service a little bit different because I wasn't happy with the way I communicated first service, so I'm hoping I communicate this really well because I think this is one of the most important points that we can grasp. In our walk with Christ. And I think that's the reason Jesus actually dedicates a miracle and a major portion of a chapter, and the way it's written in an eyewitness account, to this whole idea of spiritual blindness. Because unless we can wrestle with and understand how spiritual blindness affects us all, we'll never be able to grasp how to create healthy relationships that don't shut down questions like they have, that walk with people through their areas of darkness. Because we can look at our own blindness. And we can, the church so often looks at blindness like, blindness can be many different things. It could be doctrine. How many of you here have ever held in your belief structure a heretical position? Now, I would guess maybe not very many of you will admit it, but most of us have, and maybe some of you probably don't realize that you have. In fact, some of you probably believe a, a Christian, orthodox, biblical teaching, heretical view right now in your life. Right? And yet so often in the church, if somebody gets off kilter and asks questions and comes up with bad answers and goes down this searching path, this journey process, we end up starting to be divisive. We put up walls and say, no, we can't go to this person. We can't talk about that person. Now, I'm going to be even more explicit than I was in in first service, and this may may be... I think I should do this, but it may be stupid, okay, to do this. I think, uh, for those of you who know the names Rob Bell and Brian McLaren, I think the church has treated them much like that. Now, I would clearly say up front that I think some of Brian McLaren's views and Rob Bell's views are at least skating on the edge of heresy, if not already over in that territory. But let me ask you this question. If Jesus had not been patient and stayed in relationship with Peter through all of his mess-ups of heretical views of who he was and his moral problems that he had in expression with Jesus, where would Peter be today? But so often our approach to people like that, whether they're big names in the Christian community or whether they're among us, is to start setting boundaries and distance in relationship. And yet Jesus here models for us that he stays in relationship with those people. He continues to try to walk with them, and he helps recognize the fact that all of us have areas of darkness in our in our search for him. We're blind. Some of us see a few things clearly. Some of us see a few things like men as walking trees. And some of us, we don't even realize that we're blind. Seeing is believing. Unless you're blind, we don't even realize we're blind. So what kind of relationship is Jesus calling us to in relation to Him, in relation to one another? Do we put up walls? Do we, do we talk about these people in ways that that drive them away I would I would submit that we drive many people away from the church who could have been peters because we 'd put barriers up in relationships. but what, how do we treat people in in blind areas in regard to moral issues in their lives? relational problems, financial problems, divorce. Other things, sin, pornography. How do we deal with people? And do we tend to sometimes put walls up? See, Jesus is inviting us to a perspective and recognizing our own blindness to an understanding that the light is more powerful than the darkness. And yet the way we live life all too often is we fear darkness more than we trust the light. And instead of pressing in to relationship and being light, we put walls up to protect against darkness. How does that apply to our relationships now? Who are the people in your life who you have alienated relationship with because of disagreement? Who are the people in your life who you have alienated relationship with or maybe churches you have left and gone to another because you were angry about one position? You see, Jesus is inviting us to a settling in our hearts of the fact that there is a measure of blindness in all of us and it's a gift from Him for light and we need to trust His gift to other people. He's inviting us to a healthiness of relationship, a relationship that is less reactionary, more loving, more kind, more gracious, still being real, but pursuing than we've ever experienced before. And he's saying it begins with two things in this passage. Understanding that we're all blind and it's a gift from him. And understanding that the answer to the question is, who is he? And we want to bring people along in that answer to that question of who is he as well. It's all about pressing into relationship. Throughout this Mark series, we've had a lot of opportunities to ridicule the religious leaders, right, at times. They've they've been the brunt of a lot of stuff. But the reality, if we look honestly at Jesus and his relationships, the reality is a number of the religious leaders actually became followers of his and were following him. And the other reality that we fail fail to recognize sometimes is that Jesus continued to put himself in places, in relationship with the antagonists who are around him. He didn't try to avoid them. He didn't set his bodyguards up around him to exclude them. He always allowed them into his relationships. How else could they have gotten near to him to constantly ask the questions? It would have been easy for him as a rabbi with all of his burly fishermen to put a, a ring around him and prevent those guys from being with him. But Jesus is actually living out for us the fact of what he teaches us to live. Are we friends? Are we loving even to our enemies. Do we trust the power of light more than the power of darkness? Do we trust the power of God to bring sight more than the blindness of the people around us? And do we trust Him to be the one who dictates how He meets each person's need in the way they need to be met at the time they need to be met? Do we trust Him allowing people's rabbit trails of bad answers to good questions and trust him to bring them back to light or do we push them further into the rabbit trail instead of staying with them in relationship jesus is inviting us to be a winsome community sean if you wouldn't mind coming just for the instrumental stuff Um, he's inviting us to be a winsome community a community that that well, we're going to talk about this more because in a couple of weeks the staff are going to be up here and we're going to actually do a message where it's going to be a dialogue between staff. It's not going to be hugely scripted. We're going to talk about passion and interest and vision and where we're going. And it's going to be a really, really fun day. But one of the things that you're going to hear a lot from us is the fact that we believe, we believe the relationship is the mission. Jesus was always about pressing into relationship with his enemies and with his friends. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. We're setting up lots of things like like the patio nights to give us opportunity to learn in practical ways to express that by inviting friends and trusting God's light in us to shine through friendship. To invite your friends who don't go to church, who don't, who just invite them to come hear some good classic rock music that you know, like the last band we had in, which we didn't have a lot of control of because they weren't people. We basically picked the song set so that there wouldn't be anything hugely offensive sung, but it was classic rock music. It was just fun music. It's a great opportunity for us to begin to help introduce our friends who don't know Christ to some of our friends here who do know Christ. And it's a simple way that we start moving in relationship towards people rather than keeping distance. So I want to challenge you to do that. I want to invite you to do that, to experience the beauty of not allowing darkness in other people's lives to prevent us from being in relationship with them. And to not see them so differently. Because the other part of the confrontation for us is we tend to see people differently than us. When we've decided to follow Christ, we tend to see ourselves as being so much different than people who aren't. And the reality is, Jesus is saying, that's not true. We're all in the process of receiving more sight. We're all in the process of receiving a gift from Him. Maybe we've already believed, but we're no different than the skeptical seeker or the interested seeker. Who's also blind because we also have areas of blindness. And we're all completely dependent on the answer to one question. Who is Jesus to you? That's the central question. It's not the Ten Ten Commandments. It's not all the morality. It's not all the right teachings. It's not all the right things to do. The central question is who is Jesus to you? Do you trust him? to lead you do you trust him to lead your spouse through the dark moments of their life and heal your marriage do you trust him to heal the dark moments in your family's life do you trust him to deal with the darkness the blindness and the foolishness that goes on around you at work do you trust his light more than fear the darkness if you do We will be people who are so winsome because we will press into relationship with people all around us. We will treat them more graciously than they have ever been treated in their whole life. And God's light will shine through us and we will change our community. We will change our family lineage. We will change everything about us. These seats will be full. And that's only important because... If these seats are full, that means God's impacted a life. It's not about the numbers. Yeah, it is about the numbers. Because each number is a person whose life is changed by the light of God, who's invited into a relationship with us to live in spite of all of our own darkness, in spite of all the fact that we all bump into trees and chop down people on a regular basis because we're blind. Treat people with graciousness and do life with them together. I want to invite you to be about that these next few weeks especially. Go home, pray, invite, and see what God will do. Go home, forgive, restore the bridges in those relationships that you've pushed away because of doctrinal differences or because of moral differences. Instead of being reactionary, trust God's light and press into relationship. Lord, thank you that you are so good to not only meet each one of us where we're at, but you are so good to meet uh, this whole community where it's at through us, through the way you heal us, through the way you come to us, through the way you give us the gift of sight at just the right time. And Lord, I pray that you'd make each and every one of us bold before you, to be able to say to you, to pursue you, to not settle for what we have but to consistently pursue you for more light for more clarity for more sight and oh Lord we would be patient and kind and loving towards others that we treat them exactly like we treat ourselves because we're all blind and it's all a gift from you in Jesus name Amen if you're here and you'd love somebody to pray for you we'd love to do that if you've got a relationship that's difficult that God spoke to you about dealing with this week, and you want somebody to talk to you and pray with, uh, do that after service. Grab a friend, come down here. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.